again and this is Norman Go and you're listening to our next episode of BMI Bicara Minggu ini discussing current affairs politics and stories that matter to you and over the past weekend we've seen the a huge majority win of the Barisan National and that's under Perikatan National I think uh, sometimes we get confused between the two right now who's actually the winner is it Barisan National or is it Perikatan National there was a slim by election where the Barisan National candidate won by over 10,000 majority votes and in this next episode we're not only going to discuss about the slim by election what's coming up in September as we celebrate the uh, national day today 63 years or 57 years to uh, as uh, as a federation and today we have uh, Dr Bridget Welsh Uh, as our next guest in the Bichara Minguini. Uh, so welcome to Bichara Minguini. Welcome, nice to be here, Norman. Yeah, and uh, I know you're quite busy and you just got back from Sabah. So we'll talk about Sabah later on and uh, in, our, in our discussion. So in the slim by-election, do you think uh, what Najib has mentioned that this is a return of power to Barisan National? And uh, we've also seen the rejection of uh, six uh, voting uh, districts against uh, Pakatan Harapan. What What was going on? I think there are two very important lessons. Uh, the first of which is, is that uh, clearly the uh, b- the new Mafakat National, which is the Amno and Pass, which is I think really the big test, Bersatu not so much and Slim, uh, is actually working quite well. Now, this is the you know we've had a stream of by elections of which they have won successfully. And what we see this formula of PAS and UMNO coming together actually wins them strategic victories. Uh, they they work, collaborated despite significant differences that do exist in, uh, in on issues of seat allocation, issues uh, in terms of uh, uh, the nature of, uh, of, of candidate selection. Uh, the, the essence is that this is the formula for them to win seats, at least on the peninsula. And I think that's that's the first point. The second point is is that uh, this also shows the real seriousness, serious weakness of pa- of Pakatan Harapan Plus. Uh, the results show that the coalition did not come together in terms of their supporters to come out to vote for them. Even if you look at the election results um, of in the past, not GE14, but all the way back to 2008, there was much more opposition support in this seat. And so what we saw, almost a boycott of some of the uh, opposition supporters coming out. Was that about Mahathir? For some, it was. Uh, was that about uh, the contestation between Anwar and Mahathir? I would say some. Uh, and But more fundamentally, it's about what Pakatan Harapan is standing for. And I think the infighting, the issues of leadership, the issues of uh, the sense of kind of anger among voters that they gave up an opportunity to channel a different leadership structure, challenge a new form of governance, is still very raw. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, electorally, Pakatan Harapan faces a big struggle. So how will this slim by election, because this is considered the fourth or fifth defeat of uh, Pakatan Harapan, and it was after Tanjong PI's uh, by election, that was the last throw on the back before the fall of Pakatan Harapan from federal government and if should there be a by uh, a snap election called by muhidin um, how would this fare for uh, muhidin's faction basatu so first of all what is important to acknowledge that 
Pichuang was on the first kid off the block. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that did contribute to the very low majority, besides the issues of Pakatan Harapan more generally, is that they lacked the machinery that the, and they lacked the, the, the nature of the campaigning uh, that actually uh, is, is expected in the new party. So I think one has to qualify a little bit of their performance is that you know, it could be seen as the glass as having some water in it as opposed to being completely empty. Now, in terms of Muidin's performance in terms of Bersatu, a lot of it's going to come down to the seat negotiations. Mm -hmm. uh, and of the seats that they have, uh, roughly around 30, uh, how many of those are going to still stay with Bersatu and how many of those are going to be given to the other parties? Um, and how many of those are also going to be um, contested? So it is clear that they did not announce the coalition because of the seat like Gombak, uh, which of course is uh, where Asman Ali contests and there is opposition both from PAS and from UMNO about Asman Ali uh, holding on to that seat. Uh, and I think there these roughly, my understanding is that Anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of the seats have been sorted out. Uh, it's the remainder that are that are contentious and that cause the challenges. Now, Bersatu's performance, however, uh, is uh, is really not was not really tested so much in Slim, nor was it tested in the case of Chini by-election. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those contests were very much about Amno. Mm. And the problems that UMNO is facing, and uh, in, in and and in fact, in, it's it, one has to recognize that both of those contests were against independent candidates, and they cannot be seen and judged on an equitable way in terms of a national election. I think that if they if these parties think that this is the, going to be the future, I think that they're overconfident. Um, it's one thing to have a by-election where all the resources are there; they can solve all their problems, come together with some of their differences over a two-week, three-week period. Uh, that it's very different when that uh, when it's stretched in the national contest. So I think that they cannot be overread. That said, I think the Sabah elections are going to be very important uh, for determining the relationship between Amnoa and Bersatu, but in particular for Bersatu's performance. Uh, Bersatu has a number of its members that are very old stalwart warlords in a number of seats, uh, Masidi, Hajiji, uh, both of which are uh, traditional Amno politicians, but are now with Bersatu. Uh, Bersatu will be contesting. Um, it is clear among Sabah voters that Muyidin is uh, popular. Uh, and he is popular about uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, the first of which is that they they are very pleased uh, with the aid that's happened during COVID-19 management, and particularly the PHS assistance, um, uh, which has been online. And many many people from very different walks of life have received them and and have actually are grateful to the government. Uh, they see it in a grateful way as opposed to the realization that perhaps it's a deserved uh, expectation. Mm -hmm. But there is this recognition and acknowledgement of him. And there are people who like his communication style, his low key, not the politicking. Uh, and for many Sabahans, this is, uh, a, they don't like this kind of uh, uh, vitriolic type of politics. So uh, they prefer more like a breath of fresh air as well. Yes. And mm -hmm. Bersatu is new. Mm -hmm. And this is, and this is uh, it gives people an opportunity to rise into the ranks, into a new uh, uh, machine, a new electoral machine. Uh, they see it from the perspective of a, uh, a new opportunity. Uh, and I was quite uh, surprised at the level of grassroots support or at least political support 
support in certain pockets of Fort Brasatu um, because Sabahans want change. And uh, and they don't uh, see the same things that people in KL see, which is has to do that, you know, that Muyidin is really uh, seen as an umno politician coming back and, and bringing the practices of the past in terms of patronage and other issues. They see this as another opportunity, another um, an embrace of something different. And those two things are different, cannot, you know, should be seen and reconciled from the very different perspectives that Sabahans have compared to those people here in the peninsula. So when we look at Sabah itself, um, you know, we're, we're slowly moving into Sabah right now. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a good transition. Thank you, Bridget. Well, more that uh, I think mm. Bersatu is going to be very... So Sabah becomes a place where Bersatu determines whether it has a national future. Yeah. All right. Uh, and so it's it, just rather than Amno versus Warisan in, in Sabah. So yes. it's more of a Bersatu survival will be... The limits test for Bersatu itself will be in Sabah. Uh, in a, in a fight against uh, Warisan, but then again, there's a problem with the warlords in uh, the Amno warlords in Sabah. Um, but then, that wouldn't be a factor anyway, because uh, would it be a factor, or would it, it just wouldn't be a reason after all? Well, look, it's clear that the Amno Bersatu do not have a clear consensus on who will become their CM leadership if a CM leader candidate. Um, you know whether or not Musa Aman contests is a big issue, uh, and if he contested, then it's contest is between Musa Aman and Shafi Abdal. But if it is an alternative, uh, then you have many contenders. You have Bung Mokhtar Adin from uh, from Amno. Uh, you have uh, Hajiji from uh, Bursatu, um, even Masidi. Uh, so there are different players. Uh, and even among some Karazan Dusun Murut, there's the conceptualization that they potentially will have a a uh, another Karazan uh, chief minister, such as Jeffrey Kididan. So I think that the issue of leadership is still being contested. Uh, but going back to what this means for the national picture, I think that uh, the Bursatu base is in Johor. And it is been in Johor, it contests itself directly against Amno. And it's going to be very difficult to manage and to continue to maintain positions in Bursa, in Johor, uh, given Amno's heritage in that place. Even Muhyiddin seems to be struggling with uh, trying to uh, hold the water and what's going on in Johor, and even the former um, Menteri Basar of um, of Johor, Osman Sapian is seen to be, you know, cozying up to Pejuang. Yeah, and this is why, you know, that Sabah becomes a place that they want to have a foothold vis-a-vis -vis their leverage with Amno, but also to show that it, they're a national party. And so this is why it becomes important for them to kind of gain legitimacy. And also these uh, Sabah election, because it's what I would say a real contest, which these other by-elections have not been, it's really uh, the test of, of Muyidin's electoral support because there will be resources and, and it's a very competitive election. So that's why I would say that uh, this is a test for Bursatu um, in terms of its political future, and it will spillover, uh, as will the spillover of what happens for Amno in Sabah, to, for the context of national picture. So it looks like uh, Muhyiddin is um, looking at uh, the outcome of the Sabah state election, and GPS seems to be taking a seat back and taking a look and see um, attitude of uh, whether should they have an election together with the 
national snap, uh, snap election should they be? And um, because they still have a, have a lot of time to go until June next year. And looking at how Mahathir started with Pujuang, and um, and again, it, it lines up with the Mahathir uh, loyalists within the party. And Mahathir is quite a formidable uh, character himself. Uh, what, what do you think about this Pejuang party? In against, you know, there they will be fighting against that the Malay electorates in in a national level, for example. The you have Pejuang, you have PAS, and you have AMNO um, fighting over the same cake of electorates. How will this play out eventually? With um, right now, Bersatu it's uh, forming its alliance with Muafakat National, and that Malay Islam partnership seems to be a better um, offer by uh, to the electorates to the Malay electorates currently. How do you see that? I think there's the short term and the long term. In the uh, short term, it's no question that Mafakat National has the advantage. Uh, they have machinery, they have resources, they have now a close collaborative relationship. Bursatu's coming into this, of course, will uh, complicate things and does complicate things, but uh, ultimately, I think that uh, these parties are pragmatic in recognizing the fact that seat negotiations have to be resolved. Uh, how well that will be accepted by those on the ground and, what, um, and whether or not they're able to resolve those differences as they did in SLIM uh, will, be, uh, 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 will, will be seen. But I think it's clear that Mafakat National um, uh, if they sort themselves out, are in a very dominant position to win in the majority of Malay majority seats. Uh, and that can give them roughly anywhere from around 70 to 80 seats. In the um, in national level. In the national level. Mm. Now, um, the Barisan, national, Barisan ha Pakatan Harapan um, parties, the Malay parties, uh, Bichuang and Amana, um, really are facing a very difficult circumstances. They relied heavily on non-Malay support to win power. Uh, they captured in GE14 only 25% of the vote among the Malay community. That's less than one third. That's really difficult. It's very difficult. And now that there are clear swings of disenchantment, disengagement among non-Malay support, among among the more, uh, would you say, uh, change reform oriented uh, Malays that exist within the context of the urban areas, uh, I think that the Pakatan Harapan is facing um, some real serious challenges um, in places like Perak, uh, uh, as well as in places uh, that are um, uh, that are seen to be more reform oriented, um, uh, places such as uh, Penang and and uh, and in places such as I even within Selangor, even Selangor, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would say that. Uh, it, it becomes particularly difficult for Bichuang and Amana to win Malay support in Malay seats, <laughs> Malay majority seats in states like Tringanu, states such as Kelantan. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, that even some of the seats that they're going to face, like take, for example, the seat of Lumut uh, in Perak, where Amana has a, a candidate, um, uh, Dr. Hatta, I would say this is a real challenge for him to maintain and win that seat. Uh, and Bajuang uh, in Kedah uh, 
I mean, even Mahathir himself will really struggle to maintain the Langkawi seat. Uh, and in fact, that may be his uh, his last uh, hurrah if he chooses to contest there again mm-hmm. uh, uh, in those areas. But I think the short this is the short term discussion. Uh, uh, things are shifting and changing. Uh, the economy has been, in a sense. We've been living in a situation where things look okay. This is till the moratorium ends, until the circumstances of the international community, the longer term of of, of this, start to come in. Um, ultimately, uh, the Pakatan Harapan has to resolve its problems within, and this and that has been um, something that they haven't been able to do. Uh, and until they do that, they cannot recalibrate effectively with the electorate. Uh, but there is a recognition among Pakatan Harapan that there are these things to do, just very big differences of how they perceive that to happen. Uh, but. For me, when I look at Bijuang long term, I thought there were there were two things I think that are worthy of uh, of emphasizing. So, number one, they're bringing out younger candidates, um, and their candidate, uh, while he only did poorly in terms of the numbers, did quite well in terms of engaging with the electorate. Uh, you know, and I think that uh, you know this I- idea of bringing in and grooming younger leaders uh, uh, is a really important uh, step. Uh, and one of the problems of, uh, of the Malay parties is that there haven't brought in enough younger Malay leaders. Uh, and ultimately, you need younger leaders across the communities to begin for a different vision. And so I think I saw this extremely positively, um, uh, that the engagement, the inclusion uh, in, in that context. I think the second thing is, is that uh, Malaysians are given more choices. And while people are frustrated that they can't see and differentiate those choices, and it's still largely personality-based, I think ultimately uh, this this broader transformation of politics that Malaysia is having, it gives people choices. Is it, is allowing them to rethink how how they think about politics, how they engage politics, not just on party loyalty. Now that's going to be more long term rather than short term. Uh, people are going to go with what they know or people or the resources more likely. But the fact of the matter is is that with this kind of coalition politics that provides for different competitive competition and sources, there are more opportunities uh, for voters to recalibrate and and to push uh, parties into engaging. Bajuang, as it is, has no real policy platform. It's a personality vehicle, and and it and until it transforms with younger leaders and takes on a better identity and a clear identity that is not just race based, it's not going to go very far. And we can see a departure from uh, Mahathir's protege, Said Sadiq, um, in his latest interview with various local papers, um, saying that he's going to break the uh, break. I think the correct word was used was to disrupt Malaysian politics. His departure from a Malay-centric Basatu, and he, and he didn't. He decided not to join Mahathir's Bajuang, although being as one of the closest confidant to Mahathir, and he wants to start something different. Um, to represent the youth and he wanted to build a platform for a multicultural, uh, multi-religious platform for the youth. So how do you see with this the movement with Said Sadiq on the youth in politics? 
I think uh, it's a very positive development for Malaysia uh, in the sense that it is uh, allowing, a allowing younger Malaysians to have a vehicle of their own. The current political parties do not allow younger voices to raise. Both sides, even Barisan National and Pakatan Harapan, the old DAP parties, the same problem with PKR. I think the ones we're seeing right now are those from the reformasi period. We have not seen a, a newer faces. Well, I would only qual uh, qualify that a little bit in that Asman mm. Ali did groom a lot of younger leaders. Mm. Um, uh, and I think we're seeing some of them, such as the state and the Slanger state and so forth. But mm. I would say that generally, uh, younger leaders have not been allowed to fall, to rise. And, and, and there's been inadequate representation of that. And more importantly, younger leaders have been uh, forced to follow the kind of uh, mindset of follow the leader. And so they have to, they cannot speak out on parliament or issues uh, if it's seen to challenge the leadership of their party. And most of the time they get gagged older or orders and things like that. Of course. Mm. And what this means is that uh, ultimately they become delegitimized. This is not to say that there aren't good leaders in young leaders in the current parties. There are. Uh, uh, many of them have different visions. They speak out. They understand policy issues um, in a very robust way. They're very hardworking. Uh, they have different visions for the country. But at the same juncture, they're contained. You know, when it's very difficult for good Amno leaders to speak out when they have a leader like Zahid Hamidi and, and Najib leading the party. Uh, and so therefore, they have to follow in these processes. The same thing happens is that in, in, in the PKR and DAP, older leaders can find that the voices of the young. So in a sense, it's a very important start. And it is a phenomenon that is happens, happening across Southeast Asia. In places such as Thailand and in Indonesia, uh, we see youth movements and youth political voices. Now, the, quite, the real challenge is that this party cannot be sidesidic. And, and and if and if it is him only him he comes with baggage already um, people associate him as you've just said with Mahathir um, it has to be a group of people with leaders that are seen to be equal in voicing and issues and it has to have a clear platform so moving away from the personality uh, kind of politics where in both uh, major coalitions are, are preaching at the moment yeah, and you see, a youth movement that's seen as a political vehicle for a per, for a person to rise in politics is not a youth movement. It's a per, it's a personal vehicle, mm -hmm. and so it, this is the challenge: is to transform that into something broader and to have a clear program of where people can identify with that, to, to, to have a vision for a different Malaysia that, that doesn't uh, take on the, the narratives of the past and is not constrained by the personality squabbles of the past uh, is a very important uh, um, uh, development. Uh, but the question becomes, given that there isn't that much, uh, um, should we say, policy differences among the uh, different parties, is where they're going to position themselves. Uh, and and what are the th issues that they're going to speak about? Uh, and uh, it has to. If they do too much, then they be, then they they risk the fact of not delivering. But they have to find the right pulse of what people want. And the issues that people care about the most are the economy. Uh, they care about inclusion. They care about a sense of um, of. of of reform or transformation, um, you know, this is this is Hari Merdeka. Mm -hmm. People have Malaysians are 
are extremely and rightly proud of their country, but they want it to be a country that is developing for the future um, and for young people, and they don't necessarily see that uh, now. Uh, and this is where this youth movement has to be able to channel positive energy, not to kind of contribute to the polarization of the politics, which is really deeply um, uh, compounded by race, religion, and different conceptualizations of, of democracy and reform. Previously, I think the um, uh, there's another group of youth who wanted to start a new platform, but they, that didn't actually work out in a, in a larger scale. So do you see this new platform for the youth will be a third force uh, in coming years to come in short term, in long term? How will this work out in, in, in forming and in moving away? Trans is, does, it, does this look like a transition from the old pop personality politics into a different um, participatory democracy time for youth. Blum la gila. <laughs> not quite yet. <laughs> it's not quite there. Mm -hmm. Okay, we haven't got to the position where the movement is 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 basically defining itself. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind that youth movements um, are generation based, and there are going to be new youth that are going to come in and say, "Where are we in this picture? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what what exactly is youth? Is it people up to the age of forty? Is it at the age of thirty? Uh, <laughs> is it people in their teens and their twenties? So I think this is something that's going to be re defined. Um, and, and it is important to recognize that there are many youth movements in Malaysia. Uh, there are many different perspectives that the youth is a large umbrella. Uh, and so while we talk about transformative forces that are more inclusive, there are also forces that are not as inclusive. Uh, and so my projection is that there'll probably be different youth movements that emerge uh, that also uh, that try to be representative in their form. And is this healthy? Yes, it is because there are different choices and different avenues. Is it potentially polarizing and, and, and divide, divisive? Yes. Um, and this is the real challenge is that is whether or not the old uh, rigid paradigm of racial politics, religious differences, differences about how people see governance uh, really constrain and kind of imprint the youth movement or the youth movement is able to move beyond this paradigm and to, trend, and to offer a new paradigm. And I think right now we haven't yet seen that, um, but I think people are interested. And I think it's interesting to know that many of the people who want to vote for the youth movement are actually not youth. They want to, they're looking at the youth movement for salvation, for a, a different um, uh, transformative m m uh, process for the country. This is very interesting because I spoke to um, a number of my friends who are lecturers. They actually brought up this question and said, what do you think about this new movement with Said Sadiq and you have the Undi 18 and you have the digital parliament digital and all that do you think if they you know they, she just throw a question would you join or you support uh, the new party and most of them would say yes they're very interested it's not just about site Sadiq. i think they want their voices to be heard and do you think that this sort of response from the young people is just only subjected to those in the clang valley elite people or does this represent also some youth voices from the outskirts, from Sabah, from Sarawak, or even as far as Kelantan and Perlis. For digital parliament, um, you, what was one of the most interesting features of that were the voices from outside. Mm -hmm. They rate, they focused on issues, they focused on policy problems. Um, there were really clear, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of substantive discussions of issues. Uh, 
and that was really uh, one of its um, powerful messages is that here are people not focusing on whether or not they can get position or contracts or money or whether or not they can, uh, who's going to be who, what sort of position in the party. And it's me, me, me type of politics. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a politics that was, Hey, let, how about us? How about, how about us thinking about what we can do better? How about we look at things in slightly different ways? And so digital parliament did represent those voices. And those voices are much more connected now uh, with internet, with other social media. Uh, and I think there is an excitement. Uh, but keep in mind that at the same time, a lot of young people are not registered. I'll just give you an example of Selangor State. Uh, of the voters that are under the age of 31, of 30, 41% uh, uh, of them in Salango are not registered to vote. That's big, 41%. It's a huge, uh, given the That's a million, it's yes, about a million yeah, plus. So given Salango's population, this is the numbers that are not registered to vote. Mm. And it's interesting because the change in voter registration processes that, uh, that disallowed parties and NGOs from being from registering voters has had an impact. Uh, for example, in Sabah, uh, the younger voters under the age of 30, at least a quarter of them are not completely registered mm -hmm. at all. And so there is a kind of almost disenfranchisement. Now, things will change from the uh, with the automatic registration that's scheduled for next year. July 2021. Yeah, but it's not necessarily clear whether or not that gap between mm -hmm. 18 year olds and 30 year olds will be fixed. In fact, this is a huge gap in terms of, uh, of, of what I would say, almost disenfranchisement of younger voices. And in a sense, uh, this is something that would have to be addressed uh, to allow them to, to make sure that they have their, uh, their representation, representative rights. And I think a youth movement is something that can, can, can encourage that. Uh, because, uh, but right now, like young people in particular, um, have put a lot of put a lot of hope and change, and we're very and ha we're very discouraged when their hopes were not actualized, and there's a lot of disgruntlement of promises not being fulfilled, uh, and there's a and considerable disengagement from politics, which becomes something that is a real challenge uh, to make sure that a youth movement is inclusive. I think the uh, you know how youth is going to vote will be a very interesting uh, uh, you know the outcome in Sabah election or even in the general election. You know, things will be very very different. I think we we cannot entirely throw all the books outside the window. But how do you think the role of how Pakatan Harapan is going to move from this? You know, both Pakatan Harapan and Perikatan National will be fighting for that support from the youth as well. And I remember James put out a, uh, uh, his comment about Pakatan Harapan must come up with a new model for the coalition itself. Well, what do you think that how Pakatan will come into play in you know, proving themselves again in the upcoming election? I think we need to look at Malaysian history of how opposition politics has evolved. Mm -hmm. So when coalitions uh, come together, uh, they actually uh, often split. And then there's a learning process that comes in and then they recombine in different ways. And this, this time between splitting and recombining uh, has actually shortened um, in the Malaysian context because people know each other and others. But I think what, it, what the recent experience shows um, is that 
personality differences of the past and policy differences of the past on issues of race and religion and others really um, need to be reckoned with in a more meaningful way. Um, you know, you can't come together pragmatically. You know, the opposition felt that it was it solved its problem by getting into office. They didn't have a plan for governance. They had a plan to get into office, but not a plan for governance. And they relied too much on a person who was still very much tied to the past and not thinking of the future. And that was Tun Mahathir in the context. So uh, the other ideas and issues never actualized. And they assumed that they were gonna be there for a long time. And they didn't realize that they needed to do things that were more substantive earlier on. Um, and as a, as a consequence, uh, their legacy has been really seriously undercut. So in this context, we, we have to say, where is the, what is the history gonna teach us about this opposition politics? It is my view that Pakatan Harapan will transform itself. A breakup is likely. Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we, we see that coming very soon. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that, that it's already broken up in, yeah. in some ways, all right? We saw that some parties are moving out and others. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you still, still don't have alliances and others. But I think that the delegitimation that parties have faced, so uh, among their grassroots, um, are, is being evident in the election results, even in SLIM. I mean, if you were DAP and looking at the SIM results, you have, and uh, you have to ask yourself, okay, where is my party going to do in terms of my traditional support base? And if you're PKR, even if you stayed home and didn't vote there, and, and you think that's the reason the majority was there, don't fool yourself. Uh, the, the shifts were not just your supporters. The shifts are happening across the board. And you know, and PKR is a multi is multiracial party needs the resport response from others. And if you alienate others, this this comes back to you uh, within your coalition partners because you need to work together. So there is considerable strain in, in Pakatan Harapan, of which I think these elections uh, in Sabah and in, in, in Slim and have provided an opportunity for them to come to terms with the realities of the, the legacy of a failed, uh, of, the, of the weaknesses of, of their own administration. And I think it will be a question of how much time they would have between now and a national election. Some say that there could easily be an election as early as October or November this year. Um, it may also be later in the context till next year, or if Muyidin is probably clever and doesn't want to spend the money uh, for the resources that an election costs, which are billions of uh, ringgit. So at least uh, one um, billion, that's what, that's what the uh, oh, uh, EC mentioned. Uh, uh, yeah, well, at least is what, that's the official numbers. Yeah. Uh, uh, but let, you must multiply that because the 20%, 20%, 20%, we <laughs> uh, were talking about, you know, uh, easily during the 2013 one MDB election, we're talking about four to five billion ringgit that we might have been spent in that election. In, in, uh, but money politics is shifting. It's a different topic. But what I would say is that the issues that are, that are fundamental is how much of the lessons they're going to learn and how they're going. And I think this formula of working through these elites, um, not having clear policy platforms, making the election about Najib, uh, this is not working. <laughs> and they, they seem to be still stuck on, on, on um, romanticizing Najib over and over again. I mean, we have shown that during the Pakatan Harapan government, continuously romanticizing over Najib will not work because Najib would just reap his popularity out from it. 
and they don't they, they can't seem to just move away or even put new faces fresh faces some fresh breath of fresh air in that um, even after six months we don't see much of change within uh, Pakatan Harapan and the only thing I remember I had the last um, discussion with Fami with Fami Fadel the uh, director of comms on PKR said they are trying to clean up the party and all that but we don't see much of change within PKR um, it's just people moving out and then that's it. There's no clear platform, no clear messaging from Pakatan Harapan. Now, what do you think of that? Well, Pakatan Harapan's real challenge was that they didn't have good messaging while they were in office. Mm -hmm. So it's not a surprise that they don't have good messaging after. <laughs> I think that the fact of the matter is, is that they have to present a narrative. And they have to, they, I think they do understand that, uh, that there have, the attacks on Pakatan Harapan have been significant for Take, for example, the attacks on Lim Guani. The continuous attack on DAP, the, the easiest scapegoat uh, among the Pakatan Harapan to say uh, DAP is anti-Malay, anti-Islam, and no one will actually step, uh, step up and, and defend them. And it's funny to see Mahade was the only, Mahade seemed to be the loudest one to defend DAP in of all this attacks on DAP. Well, Anwar wasn't as loud as Anwar, as Mahathir in yeah. that situation. But what I would say, however, it's not about these personality issues, mm. is that the fact of the matter is, is that in the large section of the Malaysian's electorate, there is this doubt about him as finance minister. Uh, uh, mm. In terms of the deal this is making, referring to, to Lim Guaning, mm -hmm. and so and and the response that that DAP has is mm. uh, we have to build solidarity. You know that it's the they they dismiss it, they denigrate the, the discussions, and they they attack uh, this in a kind of polarizing way. And they don't realize that this is not going to win them over um, this the, the the people who have questions. Right? That it, and this is, and they're also reinforcing the sense that they're aggressive, uh, that they're uh, they're and this they're attacking, huh? and 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 they don't control the messaging that, that you know in this environment right now the media is still back to the old situation. Right? So people who believe and their supporters believe in them very strongly uh, and they see them without, they see this as a political uh, uh, attack and they see these in a particular way. But uh, for, for those that are outside of those echo chambers and uh, living in a different media environment, um, the the impact and the message, uh, the image of DAP and Lim Guaning has been very badly affected, and it and it's not a, it's not enough to say I'm innocent. <laughs> you need yeah. to show, you need to convince people, uh, and you need to engage them in a way that is meaningful. Uh, and and I think that the DAP challenge in Pakatan Harapan is a significant one for the. Malay-based parties. <laughs> and we can also see that uh, DAP will, their Secretary General, Ling Guan Eng, is expected to step down by the end of this year. I think the election is sometime, the party election will be October, November. I think about the same time with, um, I think after Sabah election, it might be earlier, it might be this month, we don't know, but there'll be a change of leadership in DAP. And we are also seeing more and more um, Malay leaders from DAP stepping up and even the non-Malay uh, leaders of, uh, of DAP is coming up in, in using more of a national language itself. And um, I, I remember speaking to some of the DAP leaders to say that it's very interesting to see a lot more Malays who are 
you know, inquiring about joining the AP. Why do you do you see this? Well, what do you think about this? The interests of uh, Malays in taking part in political parties like TAP. How many? How many is you know in terms of the overall mm. percentage of of, um, of Malay community? I think is still relatively small. Mm. Uh, but people are. But I think more generally, younger people are looking for different political vehicles. We were talking earlier about Bursato. We we're talking about DAP. All right, we're talking. They're looking for different ways that can allow them to have advancement. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, if you're a young Malay, you can advance very quickly in the context of a DAP. Uh, uh, and they are looking to the, also to the ideals that the DAP is a party in terms of reform that they feel that the other Malay parties are not offering them. Mm -hmm. And Bursatu and UMNO uh, and, and PAS have rejected reforms. Um, and so the options that Malays have, um, you know, they look strategically at these things beyond advancement in terms of the, the representation of their interests. And the fact is, is that the Malay community is very diverse and they're uh, a large share uh, um, are very conservative, but many are actually quite liberal and who would like a, a more better governance um, they would like uh, a more professionalization of politics. DAP, I think, did very well in the Pakatan Harapan government uh, in terms of the policy side. And their performance in many of the ministries was among the best. Um, and ironically, that created resentments by others. Yeah. Um, but at the same juncture, it, it showcased that if, when you have people of merit and talent come in, they perform and they raise issues, they try to change policy discussions. And keep in mind, younger people today have more information, they're more educated uh, overall, and they are looking, um, they're interested in areas such as the environment or interested in digital technology, um, the data analytics, you know, uh, these are uh, uh, very, very talented individuals who would look to uh, political parties to kind of harness some of their talents um, and to allow them to have advancement within those talents. I think moving from national politics right now, I think um, probably another session with you is that uh, if you remember, um, Dr. Ong Kian Ming wrote about the rise of the you know the larger number of Malays in a lot of urban areas. Actually, one of the things I'm interested to find out more is that um, are there a lot more um, educated Malays who have gone abroad? as becoming are they becoming more and more conservative in their views and things like that? I think I'll discuss with you on that on the, in the other episode because this is one of the few things that I really want to look at at the how the Malay perception and also how they view policies and politics in a matter if they are in an urban area how different they are compared to the rural people are they more accepting in in more progressive policies and, and compared to rural areas I think we will discuss that in the next episode I think to the last part I think the most important thing because this September is the state election in Sabah and he just got back from Sabah how are things in Sabah and um, we've seen Shafi Abdal crisscrossing the state giving out uh, grants of uh, their, their land titles and all that how was the feeling on the ground 
Well, we've seen Muyu Yasin visiting as well. So yeah, it's last week, right? <laughs> uh, on Saturday and, sa- and Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, politicians on the ground from the very complex uh, situation in Sabah uh, mobilizing. Um, there's a lot of, there's still a bit of um, uh, wait situation because many of the candidates have not been finally decided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many of the campaigns have not really started, although some have began at, at the national, at the state level. Um, and there's a lot of jockeying happening among the different parties. But Sabah's politics are very different yeah. than Simona Jong's politics. And I think um, they're different in, I would say, four very important ways. The first of which is that while personality politics matter in Malaysia and, uh, and people continue to see things like movements and personality terms, I would say the personalities are about personality differences mm-hmm. here. Um, there uh, in Sabah, uh, the seats are small, People want to know their candidate, want to be able to connect to them. The personal networks that they exist in um, matter, and and their per, you know their personal standing in the community, how well they service the community, uh, is extremely important. Bung Maktar is an extremely important, uh, extremely popular in mm-hmm. his kawasan <laughs> in Lamang, a beautiful river, uh, visited, um, and uh, he's beloved. Uh, yeah, and, and, and he will win. And he can yeah. right, in that situation. So um, in the in the Kinabatangan, Kinabatangan um, constituency. constituency of the parliament, but he's in Lamang in the in yeah. his state seat. So what I would say is that uh, personality politics are very important. The second thing to understand is that the suku, uh, which is the ethnic communities, uh, there are you know over a hundred different ethnic communities in Sabah, and these differences matter. Seats, new say, seats have been created around these these particular multi-sub-ethnic communities as they were in Sarawak. Mm. Uh, and they provide these ethnic smaller groups greater representation. Um, uh, so, for example, we see one seat uh, that has been created around the Iridun, Iridun community. We also see uh, the inter-ethnic divisions within the Malay community, Muslim community, uh, you have Bajau, you have Suluk, you have Bugis, uh, you have Javanese, uh, you have you know, Orang Brunei, uh, you, these are all Orang Sungai. They are all different groups, uh, which, which from, the, from, out, from outside, they think about them as all Malay, but they're not, and they don't conceptualize themselves that way. Mm. And they have different voting patterns in different constituencies, and they, are, and they have this different connection uh, that is going to be that is mobilized and harnessed in particular ways. The third thing is is that there is um, uh, the coalitions. There are many parties. There are many more choices, and so there's a tendency now to want to see this thing as a binary contest, aka Musa versus uh, um, Shafi. Uh, that's not going to be the case. All right. There's new leaders that are emerging, and others. It's not clear whether Musa Aman is going to contest, right? and it's not. And they want to see it as Warasan uh, versus Amno in this area. But in fact, in Sabah politics, that's not the case. There are multiple parties. And right now, it's not clear whether or not there will be coalitions that work together or whether or not there'll be three corner fights. Even more. Again, we have seen up to seven corner fights in Sabah before. Oh, yes. A lot of people will contest. Some of, many of those are independents. But mm-hmm. now it's about party base. Will PKR be part of Warasan? Big question. Will uh, PBS, which is the traditional Karazan uh, Dusun Murat party, uh, will that be part of um, uh, 
of the broader coalition. Uh, and then they're all discussing logos, right? I think that mm -hmm. it's likely that it's going, that although PN wants to push their particular perspective, my sense is that ultimately it's going to be BN as the coalition with UMNO being the major party within that, uh, in that area. I think the, the fourth big shift in the context of understanding Sabah is that, uh, that they don't, th they think about the federal very differently. Uh, and it's not nice for, uh, there's a negative sense about the federal government taking away their powers, uh, not, uh, not abiding by the MA63 agreement, um, not providing the resources to the state. Well, state nationalism was very important in, uh, in G14. So it's like Sama Sama with Sarawak, but still uniquely different in Sabah. Of course it is. Mm. And uh, in this context, um, you know, if someone like Azman Ali or Mahathir uh, or Anwar come to campaign, uh, which they're all, you know, uh, might do, um, Azman has already been there and uh, mm. Anwar is projected to be there, I understand. Uh, my sense is that uh, they their messages are seen for different eyes. Um, so Mahathir, for example, is blamed very strongly for the illegal immigrants. The project I see in Sabah yes, is still a, a tainted and this is, the, this is arguably one of the biggest issues in this mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, in fact, uh, he will be, he he's, a, he's hurts Shafi Abdal, uh, and he angers the voters. And the KDM, the Karazan Dusan Muruk community, are in many ways, they are the kingmakers in this Sabah election. Uh, and so uh, this combination of different ethnic groups, different party coalitions, different ways that they conceptualize politics locally, personal, makes for a very different context. And it is very complicated from outside because people want to see the paradigms of, you know, the issues of frogging, you take away the government type of situation from this perspective. But that's, you know, in Sabah, there are different types of frogs. They like some frogs and they don't like others. <laughs> and I think this is what people don't understand from outside. Yeah, it's easy to um, generalize certain things at the federal level compared to Sabah. And, you know, the issues of party hopping in Sabah, it's, I think it's, it, it's way longer than that. I think for the past many decades, we've seen that before. Because changing different types of coalition, different types of formation of um, allegiance, uh, the power to play. And over the past history, I mean, that's, that's Sabah, and you have better chances to win as an independent candidate in, in Sabah. But what do you think about family relations? Where uh, in Strawa, it's very prominent when you come from certain family lineage and all that. Does that play too in Sabah? Extremely important. Uh, family networks, uh, standing in the local community, your church networks, which church mm. you're part of, your relationship to church leaders, uh, your relationship to your Muslim imam in your, in your mosque in some of the areas. Uh, these are are really critical uh, because of the personalized nature of politics, people knowing each other. I think there is one other big point that I think is important to get across, Norman, and that is a lot of people from the peninsula, they denigrate Sabahans. They yes. say, oh yes, they just took 50 ringgit or 100 ringgit, they can be bought. And they they dismiss them uh, mm. as uninformed, uneducated. They say that they, they implicitly, is, uh, they think that they're uh, uh, lacking uh, uh, knowledge lacking, and all that. Lacking, in, mm. lacking 
choices, mm-hmm. liking, you know, that they're manip- manipulative, they're vulnerable. And I think, you know, this image is a very wrong one. Um, Sabahans make strategic choices for themselves. This reminds me of the and they do so, state election too. And they do so mm. in very informed ways. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, every time someone denigrates them, it only reinforces the sense that of distance of the Sabah experience from what is here. And I think, you know, when you go to these local villages and places like in Pinsyanga and like Nabawan and others, which are seen to be resource oriented campaigns, you know, do not ever, you know, my experience is, is that the voters there make their choices based on who's going to provide them a better quality of life. Mm-hmm. And they're not being bought. They're choosing to take the money to make their own decision the way that they want to do, uh, among the different sets of choices that they have. Well, how do you see, you know, in, will you be heading off to Sabah again? I hope so. Uh, Sabah is a beautiful state. Yeah, and then probably I'll be seeing you in Sabah. Maybe it's just... Have some tea and again in Sabah. Sabah tea is pretty good. Uh, well, I think we can have lovely durian, lovely terap, all the different fruits of Sabah, <laughs> and some tea as well. <laughs> and of course, I think Sabah people has a lot to teach us about. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, things are very, very different in in, in Sabah, even in Sarawak. And I, I noticed that there's a s- similar trend with how Sabahans are voting and Sarawakians are voting. If they are voting for the state election. That will, they they will take a different stance when they when they vote in a federal election, because they take things very pragmatic. They are group. They are very pragmatic in making their choices, because they know where their bets are. So I think thank you very much for sharing your 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 views and your thoughts uh, with me, Bridget, and today and and selamat hari kebangsaan to you too. Selamat hari merdeka. And I'm it's great to speak with you, Norman. And uh, and I think that. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, Sabahans showing the way mm. of what they think about the future. And I think that uh, it's very good that they have this opportunity to 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 send a messages um, and to be participatory and to be appreciated. I think they may be sending us a message about what is the good model for Malaysians in, in, in general. So I think after, after Sabah election, there will more work for us too. There will be Sarawak State election coming up for us. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll see how that plays out. I think mm. uh, the chief minister has been putting them off for some time, but we'll see how it does. But I think uh, besides political analysis, I think, uh, you know, um, what, during this uh, RMCO period, mm-hmm. uh, is a beautiful state to visit. Uh, and uh, I, I want to say personally, I was extraordinarily impressed with how much they followed the SOPs in many rural areas. People were wearing masks, and and many of those masks were donated by local Sabahans to the communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, people really took care of each other in, uh, in a way that uh, I think was quite inspirational. So my hat's off to them. All right. Thank you so much, Bridget. And you can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Irish S-E-A, Dr. Irish C-D-R-I-R. S-I-R-I-S-H-S-E-A So you're listening to Bicharming Uini uncovering current affairs and politics and you can listen to the stories and interviews on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts on iTunes. For more updates and stories, if you have any suggestions, you can tweet to me at I'm Nomgo. 
Thank you for listening and do support me by subscribing to the show. And if you'd like to contribute to support the podcast, do send me a message on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And maybe sometimes you can uh, chat with me. Send me a message, drop me a message on Twitter, on Instagram. Thank you. Thanks, Norman. Thank you.